Well, hello. Welcome to the Anthem Daily Podcast. Bert Alcorn here. Today is Wednesday, May 20th. Hope you guys are having a fantastic week, and I hope the last couple of episodes have been stirring and challenging in some way. We're in this little kind of mini series on this podcast, uh, prompted by just some events that are happening here in California, but it is honestly like a just good things for us to be wrestling with, regardless of you know, a a particular catalyst to drive us towards this idea and question of how should Christians engage in politics and culture. And we started off Monday talking about the reality and identity that Christians are exiles. We live in a home that is not our permanent home. This is our temporary home. And as such, we we don't have control. We're, we're not in power. We're, we're distanced from, uh, or we, we live in an empire culture where we are distanced from the kingdom of God, where they don't share our same worldview or values or whatever. And so we have to think creatively about how to live in the minority, how to live well, wisely, and holy while we're in exile. And on yesterday, we talked about how we do that. And it's kind of this, this threefold picture of, of we do that by embracing this eschatological hope in Jesus, that our hope is found in him, not in anything in the world. We do it with humble conviction, right, to, to feel and to have deep conviction and to demonstrably show our humility and as provocative countercultural communities of alternative promise that with our lives, we're living a a different and a better way, the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus. Now, what we're doing um, starting today is we're taking a look at eight ways uh, or eight eight ways that this looks. And so we talk about how do we engage in in politics and culture. And what we're going to do is spend the next eight episodes fleshing out eight particular statements or eight ways we can actually engage well in politics and the culture around us. Today, the first way is with a vision of love. A vision of love. Love is the primary lens for the church community to exist in and not not only with each other but but Jesus says in John 13 it's the way that the world around us will know about himself by how we love one another one of the church fathers augustine said this my weight is my love where i am carried my love is carrying me so always without exception everything we do every day is ultimately driven by what we love. Before this is even a Christian principle, it's a creation principle. It's part of human DNA. To be human is to love. And the problem is we uh, love is usually misdirected and, and misapplied. And we love all the wrong things and we love in all the wrong ways. Now, there's a particular beautiful chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians Um First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. And it's one of those chapters that's read at weddings. It's kind of this beautiful poem thing. It's stitched on pillows or whatever. Um, and, and that's fine. That's good. But what I find particularly interesting is it's wedged right in between two contentious chapters about how the church is supposed to be operating in the gathered setting. So talking about spiritual gifts, talk about members of one body, how we're all needed, et cetera, et cetera. And really the issue at hand for the Corinthians was that it's not that they weren't loving, it's that their love was misdirected and it was warped in all kinds of ways and it's affecting everything, including how they treat each other. And that's why so much of the Bible is not necessarily about um, what you think, uh, but about what you love. I, I mean, have you noticed that before? 
that it's not necessarily about what you think, but it's about what you love. Paul writes to the Philippians chapter one, verse nine and 10. He says, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The writers of scripture seem to care incessantly about our hearts, what we love and what we worship. And the reason Jesus and the other biblical writers talk about money more, almost more than anything else is that he's saying how, how somebody spends their money is the surest way to discover what they actually love. The, the Bible writers care deeply about what we love because what we love is what we worship and what we prioritize. There's a great book um, by the, the writer philosopher James K.A. Smith. It's called You Are What You Love. And if you have not read it yet, I highly encourage you to go pick it up. It's fantastic. And in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it's, it's been nicknamed the love chapter, um, I think is a helpful starting point for us to, to figure out what a vision of love looks like as we think about Christians and politics and culture and all of that. What does it mean to start from a vision with love? And let's go to one of the more profound chapters, at least that Paul writes, about love. Excuse me, I've got some sniffles. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read the whole thing and then I want to pick apart four, four things that I'm seeing in this text that help us live out in culture and in politics well with this idea of a vision of love. So I'm going to read the text. I'm going to pick apart four, um, four truths about love that we need to grapple with today. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in chapter, or chapter 13, verse 1. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Now just remember, this is said in the context of the church gathered and spiritual gifts and members all participating together. So he's using that drawing from for some examples. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And he goes on, verse four, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. It's not saying those things are invalid or even useful or applicable in our lifetime. It's saying that the things that are eternal is love. And all, and all the ways that we embrace spiritual gifts, as he's using an example here in verse eight, are like just the shadows of, of what's to come. But the thing that stands is love. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So when Jesus returns, all this stuff that that it's us reaching and grasping and trying to participate in the kingdom of God and, and love in the way we know how to love here, those things pass away when Jesus returns, but love stands. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then 
I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Okay, four things that I'm seeing in this text about love that helps us engage in this conversation well. First, Christian love is the more excellent way. It is the more excellent way. Paul Paul says that in... Um, Oh, shoot, I should have had it in front of me. Paul says that in the context, remember the context of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is it's wedged behind, it's wedged in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, where Paul is talking about what is happening in the gathered scent and in uh, the, the gathered setting with the, with the church. And at the very end of chapter 12, when he goes on and talking about God arranging all the bodies and some spiritual gifts and that sort of thing, he ends chapter 12 in verse 31 saying, earnestly desire the, the higher gifts, like earnestly desire the things that I've been talking about, like miracles, prophecy, tongues, healing, all of that. And I will show you a still more excellent way. He starts his argument back in chapter 12 saying you can be gifted in all these awesome ways and we should actually desire those gifts. We shouldn't like hide from them. We shouldn't like make excuses for why we don't have, we should desire them. We should earnestly desire the higher gifts, but a more excellent way is, is different. And the more excellent way is not a spiritual gift, but a way of life. Jonathan Edwards, uh, the great, the great pastor said all that virtue which is saving and distinguishing of true Christians from others is summed up in Christian love. Love is love is the it's the garden where all God's people and their gifts flourish. It's the bedrock, the foundation for a flourishing life. When we're rooted in selfless sacrificial love, the gifts of the spirit flow out of us as conduits of God's love for his people and for others. And Paul says, this is the more excellent way that you actually love. Like it doesn't matter if you've nailed all these gifts or if you're living a certain way or whatever, but if love is not your foundation, we have nothing. So Christian love is the more excellent way, number one. And number two, love is the point. That's the, that's the end goal. Love is, Exodus 34 says, love is the very nature of God. In John 3, 16, it's the motive for the cross. And now we see it's the ethos of all believers. Paul picks up on that in 1 Corinthians 13. John does in 1 John 4. And Jesus does in Matthew 22. Love is the ethos for all believers. It's the point, even to the point where in John, 1 John 4, he says in verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So Christian love is the more excellent way Number two, love is the point. It's the point. And number three, love is death. Christian love is a selfless love, which means you are at the ready to die to your preference, your agenda for the sake of somebody else. Paul gives in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 15 descriptions of what love is. And what strikes me is how virtually all of them involve what Jesus called a dying or, or hating your life, hating your life in this world or dying to yourself or picking up your cross. I would argue you cannot love well and be selfish at the same time. Love is a selfless love. 
If you're a parent, you know this. There are all sorts of immediate analogies. If you if you are married, love is a selfless love. It is it is death to yourself. That is incredibly relevant as we talk about culture, mission, politics, that love is death. Love is not fighting for your rights and fighting for your preference. Now, once again, it's okay to have deep conviction about how things should be. And it's okay to have deep conviction about the kingdom of God and doing whatever you can to bring about the kingdom of God in our time, in our place. But it's never motivated by selfishness. It's always motivated by selfless love. I would, there's a, there's a whole lot of controversy right now, at least where and where I am in Southern California about how the churches are engaging in this cultural moment. And I, and I just look around and I, I was telling Sherry yesterday, I was reading a bunch, of, I was trying to find a specific article um, for some, some clarification around comments our governor had made about kind of the future of church gatherings. And, and what I saw is I saw three Google page search results full of articles that made the church look awful. And it made the church look awful because what I saw in all of these headlines was people fighting for themselves, fighting for their preference with a whether this is true or not, with an appearance of a lack of care and attention for others, particularly the the marginalized, the vulnerable, the, the oppressed, those who cannot fight for themselves. And I just saw the church looking really bad and it broke my heart. And it feels so incongruent with this idea that love is death to yourself that to truly love someone else, you are sacrificing yourself for the sake of others. So Christian love is the more excellent way. Love is the point. Love is death. Number four, love takes practice. You do not get good at this overnight. In his book, um, You are what you love. James K. Smith says this. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. So discipleship is the rehabituation of your loves. By attending to and being intentional about what we love, we can walk in this more excellent way. Because remember, we worship what we love. So if you love money, you'll worship money. If you, if you, if you love, if you love getting your way, you're going to do whatever it takes to get your way. You are what you love, but you also worship what you love. And so this is a moment for us to be attentive to and intentional about our love. And are we first loving Jesus and then loving others and third loving herself? So number one, Christian love is the more excellent way. Number two, love is the point. Number three, love is death. And number four, love takes practice. Okay, I have two, two maybe next steps, uh, two, two opportunities for you to, to flesh this out, to exercise, to practice, if you will. Um, one is, um, is more of an awareness exercise. And so 
the next time you read a news article, I don't I don't know how how often your news consumption is. I, I try to limit it to two times a day, like in the morning and then the evening. Try to see what's happening for the day and try to see what's happening later. But I try not to do much more than that. But whenever you read a news article or a blog or watch a news show or whatever, think about issues. Um, the awareness project is to to pay attention to your heart. And to ask yourself, as you're reading some particular article, are you motivated by love or something else? And that something else could be a particular political ideology. It could be your rights. It could be greed. It could be spite. It could be revenge, whatever. Like, are, are you motivated by any of those things? Or are you motivated by love, love for God, love for the other? And second, practice. So one is as you read news articles, blogs, TV shows, whatever, pay attention to your heart and where, where's your motivation? If you're getting fired up about something, are you getting fired up because you're, you're loving for the, the poor, the vulnerable, the oppressed, the marginalized, or are you getting fired up because your, your rights and your worldview is being challenged or your whatever it is, your comfort, your security, et cetera, et cetera. Second, pray for your enemies. Here's the reality. The state can legislate and penalize, but only Jesus can make a person want to be different. So pray for them. Je- Shouldn't need to justify this. Jesus says pray for your enemies, so we should just do it. But we're, we're going to do it anyway. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who disagree with you. Pray, pray for those who are making decisions that are counter to your deep conviction. That's been a challenge for me as I'm seeing a number of things that just make me feel incredibly frustrated. I need to pray for them. And not like a manipulative prayer, like God make them be more like me, but but genuinely pray for their blessing, for their well-being, and pray for greater unity and alignment. Pray for your kingdom come, God, on this earth as it is in heaven. Pray for your enemies. Pray for their blessing. Pray for their well-being. Like Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the city I've put you in. Seek the welfare of the empire that God has put us in for those who agree with us and for those who disagree with us. So Christian love is the more excellent way. Love is the point. Love is death. Love takes practice. So notice, pay attention to and about what you love, where your heart is, and be intentional about praying for your enemies, those who are different or disagree with you. Okay, that's it for today. Uh, And please do remember, we are unpacking eight ways we Christians can engage well in in culture and politics. And so we started with the why and the how, and now we're talking about eight of the what's. What does this look like? So if you've missed any of the previous episodes, go back so you have some context. But that is it for today, and we'll see you tomorrow on another episode of the Anthem Daily Podcast. 